0: Popular demand, Dr. Greg Boyd. Thank you, thank you. How y'all doing this morning? Excellent. You look, you look, you look absolutely marvelous. It's it's good to be back. Um, I appreciate Sandra Unger uh, sharing her passion for the poor last week. Did a great job, didn't she? Amen. I uh, this last week was able to. My wife and I were able to. I get a little time away with our family and our grandkids, and uh, it's just had a really enjoyable end of the summer uh, sort of vacation. It's hard to believe that it is the end of the summer. Last week, it was June 1st, wasn't it? And here we are, coming down to, oh, oh, sad, sad. We also uh, celebrated our uh, uh, 32nd anniversary, Shelly and I. Shelly, I love you. 32. We're in the 30 Club. And uh, she is a blessed woman. I mean, there's no doubt about that. uh... All right, all right. Well, this summer, we've been uh, in and out of this series. Summers get kind of fragmented, but we've uh, kind of been weaving around this series that we've been calling God's Will Hunting. Because we've been looking at discerning God's will, knowing God's will. And uh, I'd like to entitle this message this morning... What's God thinking? Because we're going to try to wrap this all up and uh, give some real practical tips about discerning God's will, finding out what God is thinking. I'm, I'm hoping to have a little bit of time at the end of this message to address some questions. And uh, so as I'm going through this, you can keep your cell phones on, just turn the noise off, and text in questions that arise. Um, and that's the number right there to text them in. Uh, if we can't get to your question, and more often than not we can only get to two or three uh, we'll uh, address some of those on the uh, table, on the internet. So you can follow up that way as well. But be thinking of questions as we go through this. The text that we've been hovering on all summer long, as we're going through the book of Colossians, we remember we are going through the book of Colossians, and uh, you probably have this verse memorized because we've read it so many times, but let's read it again. Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Well, you know, it occurs to me that we need to have one more message on this because I, I haven't preached on that yet. Yeah, okay, so we'll, we'll probably come back to this again. Uh, His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His people in the kingdom of light. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, I thank you for every person in this auditorium and every person listening through podcasts and and watching through television or any other means. I, I thank you, God, that they are here and, and part of this. And our prayer, God, is that you would uh, use this message, anoint this message, empower this message uh, to have explosive force in our life to bring the kingdom and to teach us and, and uh, condition us to be a people who are sensitive to your voice, who listen to your voice, who submit to your voice. We have no confidence in human words doing this. A speech is worthless unless you, Lord God, are infusing it with your power. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Use this message to build your kingdom in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. We have covered a lot of ground in this series, God's Will Hunting. We uh, first talked about uh, the question, do we really want this? Do we really want this? This is really the most fundamental question. The prayer here is that we would be filled, filled with the knowledge of God's will, which means if we're filled with with His will, we're not filled with our own will. And so our own will has to take a back seat, and we have to live a life where we're submitted uh, to discerning His will as best we can. Do we really want that? And so we need to always be asking God to soften our hearts, to yield, to get rid of our own uh, inclinations towards self-lordship, and so that we would be submitted and ruled by His love. And His will in all of our life. And then we looked at the purpose for discerning the will of God. Pagan thinking always has seen the purpose of seeking the will of the gods uh, to be sort of to get a blessing. And there's a lot of Christian thought that's pagan along those lines. You want to know God's will because you want to have your best life here and now with all the blessings that come along with it. And God certainly loves to bless His kids, but that's not the purpose for discerning His will. It's not some kind of trick to have a better life. Paul here says that the purpose for discerning the will of God is so that we would walk worthy of the Lord and that our lives would bear fruit and be pleasing to Him in every way. And then sometime back we looked at that word worthy. uh, Axios in Greek. It doesn't mean that we're trying to deserve it or that we're trying to pay back sort of His gift of the atonement. Uh, it, no, it, it means that we walk in a way that is axiomatic. We get the word axiom uh, from, from the word axos in Greek. It, it's, it's, uh, it flows out of, it reflects the truth of who we are in Christ. So to walk, live a life worthy of God is, is just to live a life that's consistent with who he's made us to be by his grace in Christ Jesus. And that led us into this whole talk about putting the who before the do, right? You've got to put the who before the do. If you put the do before the who, you end up with poo-poo. And we got into all Dr. Seuss kind of stuff there. Uh, we need to know who we are. We talked about God's will for us as individuals. Because everything we do has to flow out of the reality of who we are. And so discerning his will for our life is, is, is the key to discerning his will for what he wants us to do in any particular situation. And that got us into all this kind of talk about... Uh, uh, God working in the inner parts of our being to bring healing and redemption and restoration. Uh, we, 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 t- we noted how in Proverbs it talks about our spirit, which is the core of our being, being the lamp that God uses. He carries this lamp as He searches the inner corridors of our heart to shed light on what is now in darkness and, and to bring to the surface everything that needs to be addressed, all the wounds and the scars. And and the lies that we've believed, and he wants to bring healing and transformation, so that we will become who he has, in fact, called us and created us to be, uh, in, in Christ Jesus. And I shared a little bit there uh, in the sticks and string stick and string sermon about how God was working in my own life and bringing to the surface some stuff that I didn't even know was there. I've been invaded by this this uh, anguished, alienated seven year old. He's invading the adult me. Uh, this pain in my neck was kind of bringing all that up. And so I shared along the lines of what God's been doing in my life about that. And by the way, I'll tell you that uh, I am, as of this morning, feeling completely freed from that. Amen. That, amen. It, it feels that the heaviness is lifted, and I feel like I've, I've uh, now, knowing God, he'll be another layer of the onion that he'll peel back sometime in the future. But right now, it just feels so refreshing uh, to, to have that lifted. So we need to be invited, inviting Christ to be working in our life and turning our imaginations over to him and, and allowing him to just go back to these memories and, and, and reversing the meaning of, of, of the past. And then Scott and Shauna talked about discerning God's will as a process. It's not a one-time thing where now we think we've got it, but like everything else in life and everything else in the kingdom. It's a process that we're involved in. We're always a work in progress and always on the way. And then we talked about a lot of things. Uh, that we're to avoid as we're seeking to discern God's will. A lot of, a lot of ways that are sort of out there uh, that really, I think, lead people astray. So we talked about uh, avoiding the idea that there's a Bible verse for every question you have and every decision that you have to make. And we, we warned against uh, the idea that you, can, uh, or you should try to read the will of God from uh, the signs in your environment, sign theology we called it. Uh, where you try to interpret every coincidence that happens. Is God trying to talk to you? What's God trying to say? And you treat your environment sort of like a tea leaf or a tarot card, trying to divine the will of God. Uh, we talked uh, about avoiding the idea that everything that happens is God's will. A very common assumption that people make. Uh, the fact that you lost your job doesn't mean that it was God's will that you lost your job. Or if you apply for a job and you don't get it, that doesn't mean that that was God shutting the door there. Because there's a lot of things that affect what comes to pass. Uh, It's not the case that everything that happens is reflective of God's will. If it was, we wouldn't need to be praying and living in a way that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Uh, The fact that we're to pray and live like that shows that God's will is not always being done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a lot of things that compete with and contest with and go against God's will on earth. And so we can't just assume that because it happened, it was God's will for it to happen. Along the same lines, we talked about avoiding the omniopinionated God. Right? Where, where God, he doesn't control all that happens, but he wants to. In and, and this theology, it, it's like there's, he's got an opinion about every particular thing that we do. And so some people get all kind of screwed up because they think they've got to discern God's will for what color socks they're going to wear or, or what cereal they're going to buy at the grocery store. Uh, you don't need to be going there. We need to always have an open attitude and a demeanor towards God so that he can weigh in when he wants to. For all I know, there may come a time where he's going to have an opinion about what color socks you should wear in the morning, and so listen to that. But I wouldn't spend a lot of time in intercessory prayer trying to discern his will for that. A lot of times, and we saw this in Scripture, a lot of times God just says it's up to you. Whatever, you you choose. You got a brain, use it. He's like a parent. He he gives us free will, he gives us a mind, and he wants us to use it. He doesn't want to turn us into Stepford Wives where he's telling us every particular thing to do. No, he delights in, in seeing us have a mind of our own. But, He wants to be able to weigh in whenever he wants to weigh in. And so we need to be open to that. And so there's a number of things that we said that that need to be avoided. And finally, we talked about how God, when when he speaks with us, it's usually, not always, but usually with a gentle nudge. He rarely bulldozes over people. Uh, The the communication that God wants with us is one that comes out of communing with him. communion occasion, we called it. And, and uh, he wants to grow a people who have a, have, have a conditioned heart and mind to, to pick up his gentle nudges. And so we need to be a people who pay attention to what's going on on the inside of us. Not just assuming that everything we think and everything we feel is our own doing, but rather uh, being aware of the impressions that we have, the nudges that we have, the pictures that arise in our mind, uh, sometimes the dreams that God gives us. All of these are ways that God speaks to us, but they require us walking in a way where our our spiritual ears always sort of cusp towards him. Lord, what what would you have me to do? Uh, How would you want to guide my steps? Now I want to bring this all together, if possible, by offering three very practical strategies for discerning God's will, finding out what God is thinking. Three practical strategies. First is the thing that I'll call imaginative discernment. This is, honestly, my number one go-to discipline when I want to discern God's will or when I feel I'm supposed to discern God's will about any particular matter. Imaginative discernment. I know a number of people who have, who have found the same thing. It's, it's the most reliable strategy i found uh, for discerning the will of God. It's based on the fact that imagination, and we've talked about this a little bit in a previous message, imagination is absolutely crucial to our spiritual walk with God. The Bible doesn't use that term per se, uh, although there's a few terms that can be translated like that in Hebrew. But, but as you look at how God speaks with his people throughout the biblical narrative, it often involves what we would today call our imagination. God gives visions or God gives dreams, uh, impressions, and those are things that occur in our imagination, which is simply the mind's ability to entertain images. Uh, it's the way God speaks with us. In, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about uh, the... How when we turn to the Lord and yield to His Spirit, the Spirit removes the veil over our mind, which allows us now to see things we couldn't see before. We can behold the face, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, for example. But that beholding is something that happens in the mind. It's what we would today call our imagination. And as I mentioned several messages ago, uh, I think the imagination is the place, the point at which the, the Spirit, which is our innermost being, connects with our mind, our, our, our psyche, our personality. It speaks in terms of the imagination. That's the lamp that the Lord holds as he's searching the inner uh, corridors of our heart. That's why surrendering our imagination over to him is so important. As it applies to discerning God's will, here's what I advise people to do. You've got an important decision to make. Uh, whether it's buying a new house or saying yes to a marriage proposal or, or a career change or a ministry opportunity, I encourage people to do this. First, purge your motives. Purge your motives. Uh, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. We looked at that verse several times. And that I take to mean that He'll give us what He wants us to desire. But it requires that our delight is in the Lord, our life is in the Lord, our purpose is in the Lord. And so we want to purge out our self-motivations. And so our decision isn't just based on what will benefit us or what we might like. We really want To be a people who make decisions based on what God wants. And to seek first the kingdom of God. So first, purge your your motives. Ask God to help you purge your motives. Secondly, ask God now to show you which of the opportunities that you're looking at, which of the alternatives you're looking at, which of those that he would want you to go down. What is his will on this? Just ask God to show you. Make it clear. And then thirdly, here's where the imagination comes in. I encourage you that in a state of prayer, imagine... Your life, having made each of the choices that are before you. Door number one, door number two, door number three. These are the choices that are before you, and you want to know God's will. And so, in a state of prayer, just imagine, however that works for you. Some people see things, other people hear things, other people just have impressions. However you remember things, that's that's using your imagination. So that's what it will look like as you're envisioning the future, if you were to choose each of these different opportunities that are before you. Don't try to force anything in a very relaxed way. Just ask the Holy Spirit to unfold. What would your life look like if you choose this? And then what would your life look like if you choose this? And then if there's a third option or a fourth option, whatever, what would your life look like if you choose this? And as you do that, I encourage you to be looking for peace. What, which of these alternatives ministers the most peace in the core of your being? Which of them feels like it has the most congruity in the core of your being? Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, as he's speaking to people who are in kind of rough marriages, uh, he says, God has called us to peace. God is a God of peace, and when you're in the will of God, there's going to be peace. And so as you look at these alternatives, just ask the question, which one gives the most peace? Now, it may not be the alternative that makes the most sense. It may not be the one that is financially advantageous. And it may even make you nervous On a certain level. Maybe in your mind, you know, you're wondering, how can I possibly do that? That's pushing me beyond my limits. Don't pay attention to that as you're looking through these alternatives. Rather, pay attention to what's going on in the core of your being because that's who you really are. You see, God calls us... He says we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. He says we're holy and blameless. We're spotless. We're his children. All that is true about us in terms of the marrow that runs through us, right? We talked about that. What's, what's true at the core of our being. Our mind is still somewhat screwed up because it's conditioned by all the voices that we've heard and experiences we've went through throughout our life. So you want to get past what your mind is saying to what your, the core of your being is saying. And when you have peace about a matter, uh, that's one good indication, best indication, in fact, that that's that's the, the, the road God wants you to go down. Well, seven years ago, uh, my small group, the group of friends that I share life with and do the kingdom with, uh, we were all feeling called to the city, or at least we suspected that that might be going on. And, um, and so we prayed about this. And I, as I prayed about this, I looked at the alternative of staying where I was at versus moving to the city versus moving somewhere else. But this, the moving to the city just ministered the most peace. I had complete peace about that. Um, it didn't make a lot of sense, actually. In fact, it didn't make any sense. It still doesn't make any sense. But, but it was the one that I felt, and we all ended up feeling, was the one that we we're supposed to do. So we all moved into the city on the same block and, and, and things of that sort. Look for the one, the alternative, that ministers the most peace. If none of the alternatives that you're prayerfully entertaining feel peaceful to you, that's one good indication that maybe God's saying no to all of them. Because if you really are walking in the will of God, or in this case, imagining the future in the will of God, it ought to minister peace. So if none of them minister peace, that's a good indication that God is maybe saying no to all of them. On the other hand, and in that case, you want to ask God to show you a different alternative. Maybe there's something that's not even on your radar screen that you need to be entertaining. Ask God to just show you then what, what alternative you should be choosing. If all of them equally minister peace, you feel good about all of them, then I encourage you to always be open to God interjecting his will and weighing in when he wants to. But if he doesn't, as windows of opportunity close, because they always do, life is a stream, it moves forward, it never stays in one place, so opportunities close. You've got to make a decision. And so I encourage you to, if you don't get a clear green light on one of the options that you're looking at, to do the one that makes the most sense. Again, Psalms 37 tells us that if we delight in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart. He'll put on our heart what He wants us to desire. So unless He tells you otherwise as you're looking at these options and the windows of opportunity are closing, uh, do the one that you desire. Do what you want. Do the one that makes the most sense. Um, I don't agree with that philosophy that says that unless you get a definitive go sign from God, that you should default to no. I, 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 they, they should do nothing. Life is a stream. It's always moving forward. It's a bicycle. It's like riding a bicycle. If you stay in the same place, you fall over. So the natural default should be to move forward. And we want God to direct us as much as he wants to direct us. But if he doesn't, well, then make the decision that seems best. We saw in Scripture that sometimes God says, here's the options. You choose. He's okay with that. So you choose. Imaginative discernment. Play out the scenarios in a prayerful mode uh, that are before you and look for the one that ministers the most peace. Second practical tip is this. Community discernment. It says in Proverbs that plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And that's not a magical formula, but it's a principle. All other things being equal, it's good to get input from other people. And so I encourage you as, as you're facing especially weighty decisions, decisions that are important, whether it's marriage or house or other kind of purchase or job change or ministry opportunity, whatever it may be, to invite others in on the process. Ask them to do what you're doing in terms of this imaginative discernment and other ways of discerning God's will. Just ask people to join you in that. God is a relational God, Father Son, and Son, the Holy Spirit. God is a perfect loving relationship throughout eternity. And God in creating this world wired it into the fabric of creation that everything works better. Everything works better when done out of relationship because that reflects his character more. And certainly everything in the kingdom works better when done out of relationship because that reflects his character more. So invite others in on the process. Now, who you invite in on the process depends on the decision that you're making and what your relationships are like. And so it's going to vary from from, uh, uh, example to example. In general, however, I'd say this. Married couples, if you're making a decision that's going to affect mar- the, your, your spouse, include them in on the decision. The, do not do this, hey, honey, God told me that we're supposed to do this. No, include them in on the process. Uh, you're supposed to be thinking and acting in terms of a one-flesh relationship, so, so do it together. I don't think it's ever healthy, certainly not kingdom, to make major decisions uh, that affect the marriage, and only one person uh, in the marriage is making those decisions. Not good, not good. Um, if, it, if the decision involves the family or could affect the family, then it might be appropriate to invite uh, your family in on and praying about this. In fact, I think it's always good to include kids in kingdom activity. Hey, let's pray about this. What are you getting? And, and, and get feedback from them. Um, it, it's good to have a group of people around you that you trust and, and, and that you do the kingdom with, a small group that, that is your tribe. And you want to invite them in on, on decisions. Now, how much trust, how much weight you put on the advice that they give you it's going to depend, it's going to vary on, on what you know about them and the kind of relationship you have and things of that sort. So again, there's no magical formula. But it's always good to invite others in on this process. Sometimes you might find that the, those folks around you who you trust get something different than you get. And you need to take that into consideration. Uh, Danny Churchill's a guy that, that I've known since he was two years old. and It's been a delight to see this young man grow up and Become the man of God that he is. He's now part of our, our, our youth ministry. And uh, about seven or eight years ago, I guess it was, he was asked by a church to uh, come on as a volunteer to work with their youth. It was a small church that was just starting, and they wanted him to be the youth pastor. And it could have, they said, turned into a, a staff sort of position. Danny didn't have any inclination to do that, he, he just didn't really even take that seriously. But he told them that he would consider it and pray. Um, and so he wisely invited others in on this decision. Hey, would you pray about this opportunity that's come? Uh, they think I, I should do it. I don't really feel like doing it, but what would you pray about it? And virtually everybody in his community that prayed about this got a yes. I, I was part of that. I, I, I told him, I, I think this is, this is something you're supposed to do. Everyone agreed. So Danny wisely went back to the drawing board and re- seriously reconsidered this and prayed about this And before too long, he got the green light that this was something he was supposed to do. So he went on staff, or he started as a volunteer, then went on staff, and then as it turns out, he came over here, and now he's on our staff, and he's blessing our kids and leading worship, and and it's been a beautiful thing. So be open to this community giving you input that maybe is going to disagree with uh, what you were already thinking. Imaginative discernment, community discernment. And the third thing is to remember... And this is, I think, so important and probably the most neglected aspect of the whole process of discerning God's will. Always remember that God's will is in the present. It's in the present. I can get at this point by proposing this scenario, several scenarios. Suppose you have these options, this decision you've got to make. And you pray over them and imaginatively discern all of them, and you get a, a definitive, strong yes to go down a certain path. And those you invite in in the process, they get a yes. So you go down this path. You make this choice. What if it turns out to be disastrous? Just disastrous. You got a yes that you're supposed to marry this guy. It turns out to be uh, uh, cheating on you and abusing you. Uh, you got a yes to a job opportunity, but the employer turns out to be a complete jerk and... and the whole thing's a mess. Whatever. Does that mean that you didn't hear God right? Or even worse, does it mean that you did hear God right and he was setting you up for disaster? Think about that. All right. I'll get that. Or, or maybe it wasn't just disastrous, but, but suppose this. You, you, you get a clear yes to go down a certain path, and those you invite in, in the process, they get a clear yes. So you go down this, this path, and a short while later, all of a sudden you feel led to go down a different path. I know a, a guy who who felt strongly called, and his wife agreed, and his friends agreed that he was called to be a youth pastor of this church. About three, four months later, an opportunity opened up at a different church to be senior pastor, and he and his wife and his friends all agreed that he was supposed to go down that direction. But the, the senior pastor that he was working for said, no way, dude, you were called here. And if you were called here, that means you can't be called there. Uh, and and uh, so you're supposed to stay put. Was he giving good advice? Was he good giving good advice? I don't think so. Here's the thing. God's nature, his, his, his character never changes. Never changes. He's always perfectly loving. Uh, he, he, there's no wavering on that. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God in his character is always the same. And God's ultimate will is always the same because it reflects his character. God's will for creation to be restored and God's will for uh, every person he ever creates to be in heaven with him throughout eternity, that's not going to change. But God's particular will, I submit to you, his will for every particular situation always changes because life is always changing. Now, some people have trouble getting their, their, their minds around this because they've always been taught that God's will is invariant. It never changes. But here's the thing. I can show you in Scripture at least 40 times where it explicitly says that God changed his plans. He was going down this route. He says his intention. But something happens. Circumstances change. So now he goes in this direction. I can show you another 250 times at least, and I'm finding new ones all the time, where the narrative indicates that God had a goal to go down this path, but then things happened. Things changed, as they always do. So then God adjusted his plan and went in a different direction. He called Saul to be king of Israel, and 1 Samuel 13 promised him all these blessings. Two chapters later, Saul turns out to be a bozo, so God says, forget all that. I regret making him king of of, of Israel, and he puts David there instead. The plans are always changing, always adjusting, and the cash value of that is this. We can't coast on yesterday's will. Yesterday's will was yesterday's will. Today's will might be different. So it means we need to be a people who are always listening anew to God's will. What is your will for us today? What is your will for me today? God may call you into a ministry, and then because things change, he calls you out of that ministry into a different ministry. Because he called you into the ministry at one point doesn't mean he's always calling you into that ministry. Things change. And God may call you to do something that turns out to be disastrous, not because he was setting you up for for disaster, but because people make decisions that are disastrous. And in light of that, God's will may change to say, okay, now now I want you to go in this direction in light of the decisions that they made. There's a flexibility there. And so I encourage us to be a people who don't try to coast on yesterday's will, but are always seeking to hear anew what God is doing. I mentioned about how my small group seven years ago moved into the, the city and doing life together. We had dreams around that, about living in community, and we had dreams about serving in the city and and other things. Some of those dreams have come true, and others, frankly, have not. But that was our dream. Now, what's really interesting is that recently, one of the couples in our small group has felt called to move. They felt called that they're supposed to move. Um, Part of that's a financial issue. Uh, We always thought that moving into the city was going to be cheaper, uh, 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 no, not necessarily. I mean, the taxes are just going up and up, even as our house values are going down and down and down. And what's up with that, I don't get it. But, but it's become financially hard for them, so they're actually feeling called to move to Woodbury. Now, this, but beyond the, fi- the financial considerations, there's, there's a sense that they had, that that God was moving them in this direction. So they wisely invited the rest of the group, and we always do this in my small group, will you pray about this? We don't want to make major decisions alone. We ask others to be involved in this. So we all start praying for this. Now, On the one hand, it seems impossible because we had that dream seven years ago. There's a narrative that we're supposed to be living in, and we haven't fulfilled that yet. How could this be? And yet, as we prayed about this, everyone got a confirmation that, in fact, as sad as it is and as confusing as it is, this is what's supposed to happen. Things change. Things change. Now, maybe we'll pick up this narrative later on, 10 years from now or whatever, but right now it seems like they're supposed to move. You can't coast on yesterday's will. Things change. And if their house doesn't sell, and in this market it might not, and they might end up staying in the neighborhood that they're in, does that mean that we right now aren't hearing God's will? Right. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Because last I checked, people who buy houses have free will. There's other variables that work here. So it might not sell. It just means that we'd have to ask again the question: okay, what's God's will right here and right now? Don't coast on yesterday's will. Finally, and then we're gonna to get to some questions. Sometimes because people don't integrate this kind of understanding into their thinking about the will of God, they get themselves in, in trouble. And by the way, yeah, you, you, you don't find much of this in the writings out there about discerning God's will. I have written a book on, the, on this, along these lines, called God of the Possible. And if you want to go further with exploring this kind of flexible understanding of God's will, I encourage you to get that. Another really good book, by Robert Elwood, called Understanding the Will of God. It's a very little-known book, but it's a devotional, and it's all, it, it's all based kind of on this understanding that God's particular will changes. And uh, it makes a big difference in how you understand God's will and and how how you do life. Sometimes our our unawareness of the flexibility of God's will gets us into trouble. Uh, An example of that is this. And I talk about this in the book, God of the Possible. Uh, There's a lady that I named Susan in this book. And when I met Susan, her faith was pretty much on the rocks. Uh, And the reason it was on the rocks, it was shaken to the core, was this. From the age of 13 on, she got a passion for Tanzania. Just however it got there, she just had the passion for Tanzania. And throughout her teenage years, her main prayer was simply this. Lord, uh, equip me to be a missionary to Tanzania and and hook me up with a guy who has the same passion. I I, want to get married and and marry a man who has that same passion. So she goes to Bethel College, and the first week of college, uh, she... Comes in contact with a guy who from the age of 13 has been praying to be a missionary in Tanzania and praying that God would hook him up with a woman who has the same passion. Boom. Plus he was good looking. <laughs> so for four years, all through their college experience, for four years, they, 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 they court one another. They, they do it right. They keep the relationship godly. Uh, in their senior year, he proposes to her. But she wasn't quite, she didn't get the green light yet. Surprisingly enough, they talk to their pastor. They talk to their friends. They talk to their families. And everybody is saying, Doy, this is a marriage made in heaven. This is a good thing. Go for it. But she held out until she finally got the green light. And as she described the experience to me, it was an overwhelming experience when God finally said yes. There was, it, was, it was very, very clear. So they get married. They graduate from college. They go to missionary training school. Nine months later, he gets caught cheating on her with another student that's terrible but it's still recoverable they take a little bit of time out of school they get into counseling blah 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 blah. it looks like things are back on track but about a year later again he gets caught with that same woman and this time he says I'm hopelessly in love with her and I've been having a relationship all along um she still tries to work on this. They, they get out of school. She still tries to salvage the, 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 the relationship, but it's just not working. His heart is getting harder and harder and harder. Tanzania is off the table. In fact, God's pretty much off the table, which often happens when we willfully choose to go down a path that we know is, is not of God. Our hearts get calloused. Uh, he becomes more and more um, abusive towards her. At one point, even physically abusive. Hits her in the face, cracks her jaw. At that point, they agree that the marriage is over. Uh, Two weeks later, she finds out she's pregnant. Now, here's the thing. This would be emotionally devastating, of course, to anybody who went through anything like this. But what made this particularly bad for her, what ruined her faith, was was this. How could it be that I pray from the age of 13 on to find a guy who's got a passion for for Tanzania? It's the only thing I, I pray about. And this is how God answers my prayer. He set me up. Way to answer prayer, God. How do you trust the God who set you up like this? Now, she had some friends who said, well, maybe you really didn't hear God rightly. But she said, look, if I didn't hear God right on this thing, well, then there is no such thing as hearing God right because this is as certain as it ever gets. Others said, well, yeah, no, you heard God rightly, but God's trying to teach you a lesson. This was all part of his great plan and trying to teach you a lesson of some sort, and she didn't buy that either. And so her faith was on the rocks. Now, I was able to introduce a, a, another way of thinking about things. I, I pointed her to, to Saul, that I just mentioned. And I said, you know, here's, here God chose Saul. First of all, he didn't want a king. But because the people were complaining, he says, okay, fine. I'll act we I'll give you a king. So he chooses Saul. Saul looks like a good bet. Gives him all these promises in 1 Samuel 13, that if you walk with me, I'm going to bless you. You'll reign forever, blah, blah, blah. Two chapters later, Saul turns out to be a bozo, so he takes it away from him, and it says that God regretted making Saul king of Israel. Even God, I, I said to her, regrets the way some of his own decisions turn out. Now, that doesn't mean there are bad decisions. It just means that people have free will. So also, I have every reason to think that God was in good faith telling you yes to marry this guy. And there was a good chance that it would turn out wonderful, and you could have been great missionaries to Tanzania, but your husband's got free will like everybody else, and he used it to instead go down this uh, this. This path that brought disaster to the marriage. And it's not about God, that's about your husband being a jerk. (laughs) See, but here's the thing, and this is what I said to Susan, is that uh, the the, the good news is that if you'll get back in the game, maybe Tanzania, that plan's off the table now, maybe that's gone, but, but God's got a plan B. Whenever a plan A is ruined or becomes obsolete, God's got a plan B. And if that one gets ruined or becomes obsolete, he's got a plan C and a plan D and a plan E. And the beautiful thing is that the plan E is just as beautiful as the plan A. It's just different. It's just different. In fact, amen, amen. In fact, God is so smart, he's able to take the disasters of the plan A, B, C that failed and weave them into his beautiful plan E. You see, and that becomes part of our qualification for ministry. So Susan, get back in the game. Now, see, we can't coast on yesterday's will. The uh, world changes, and his will will change, and we need to be open to it day, day by day, moment by moment. Okay, i got time for a, uh, just maybe one or two questions. By the way, I don't get to most of the questions here, but uh, uh, the questions that we answered in previous services will be on the CD and be online, so you can check it out that way. Is imaginative discernment limited to any sense? If so, how do you deal with that? Hmm. Oh, limited in any sense. Oh, okay, limited in any sense. If so, how do you deal with that? Well, I I, I really encourage people to have a kind of a comprehensive approach to these things. Um, I find imaginative discernment to be the most reliable guide to discerning the will of God, but I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket. Um... Uh, we're all limited. Everything we do is limited. Uh, you know, so, so, of course, there's going to be limitations on this. That's why you also pay attention to the gentle nudges that are going on in your life throughout the day. That's why you uh, invite others in on, on, on discerning this process. Um, you know, there's a number of things you do as you're putting together what you understand God's will to be. So, yes, it can be limited, but the way you deal with it is by asking other people to be involved in the process. And uh, doing other means to, to try to secure your understanding of what God's will is. Very good question. One more. One more. What if a husband and wife can't agree about God's will on a major decision? <laughs> Should the wife then submit to the husband? Okay. Uh, we're out of time. Guys, have a great day. No, you know what? Here, here's the thing. In the New Testament, you have the instruction several times for wives to submit to their husbands. You also have the instruction for slaves to submit to their masters. Uh, It's culturally conditioned. What's really interesting is what Paul does with that in Ephesians 5, because there he says, he says first uh, in verse 22, husbands and wives submit to one another. Uh, That's radical in the first century, because it was a very sexist patriarchal culture. And then since the guy holds all the power... He says to the guy, the husband, Okay, husbands, uh, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then wives, you respond by loving your husband as the church loves Christ. But what what he does is he turns the whole patriarchal system on its head because now what it means to be head of the household is that you have to submit first. (laughs) Uh, You you come under your wife. You give up your life first. So husbands, if you want to be head of the household, on the head of the household, great. You crucify yourself on behalf of your wife. When she doesn't deserve it because Christ died for us while we were yet all sinful and and, and all that in order to make us holy, the passage says in Ephesians 5. I I, I submit to you this, that that God's ideal for a marriage is simply that husbands and wives are Christian to one another. And if you're Christian to one another, you're not trying to get the upper hand on one another, lord over one another, have a power on one another, or get your own way. Rather, what it is to be Christ-like is you submit. And so in the fall... In Genesis three, because of the fall, God says, "Oh, the husband's going to rule the, the wife, but the wife will be trying to control the husband." So there's this power, this power move. That's our fallen. That's the fallen marriages. And it kills me that people are still holding up that as what well, was an ideal. Like who gets to have the last say? In Christ, we were moving in the opposite direction. It's mutual submission. And so if you can't agree on something, uh, you work it out. I submit to you. See, I, 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 the headship is not a deal breaker thing. And I can give you disasters that happen because the guy said, well, since I am the man, uh, I get to have my way. So we're going this way. And sometimes had disastrous results. You trust. Look at your one flesh. You no longer operate as two people. You operate as one people, one person. And so when you can't agree, you keep on praying and you keep on seeking and you keep on submitting and, and, and something will, will arise. Something will arise here. Now, if it's just an opinion sort of thing, I, I, well, then you, you submit to one another. And if the man thinks he's the head of the household, well, then you submit first. And you ask for forgiveness first. And you do everything first. If that's, well, I don't think your wife's going to disagree with that. That'd be fine with her. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, you trust that, that God, God will bring it uh, to the surface, uh, what, what the, the will is, as you both humbly submit to one another. Okay, good. Uh, God gives us the desires of our heart. What happens if, if some of our desires are different than his? Very good question. Here's the thing. Uh, to the extent that our delights in the Lord, I believe that all of our desires would be downloaded from Him. Uh, To the extent that that is absolutely true. Thing is, with us, it's hardly ever absolutely true. We're not totally in congruity with ourselves. There's always parts of us that are out of sync with God's plan. Um, And even when we think we got it all in sync, boom, He reveals that there's something else that needs to be healed, something else that needs to be worked on. All of our desires that are ungodly, I think come from, from parts of ourselves that have not yet been fully integrated into the kingdom. And so when you have those, see, the deepest desires of your heart, if you're, if you're submitted to him, the deepest desires are going to be the ones that he gives you. And they'll be in congruity with his, with, with his kingdom. Um, but we may have other desires, part of our false self uh, that are, is leading us in other directions. And that's where we... They, let, let those serve, don't condemn it or get mad at it or hate it. No, just let it be a, te- a, a signpost that there's more work to be done. And, and then you offer that to the Lord and ask God to reveal to you what it is that's bringing forth that desire and ask Him to continue to do more healing in your life. Excellent question. Appreciate it. Got time for one more. One more. Yes. You are? So am I! Hello! <laughs> she says I'm a human. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure. Okay. Okay, very good. So the question is, is uh, she finds, that uh, th- this human being finds that as you're talking with God, seeking his will, sometimes you negotiate with him. We've done that. God, I'll make you a deal. You can't refuse this deal. Let me tell you. This is a good one. I've been telling God for about 20 years that, you know, when the lottery gets over $200,000, i will buy one ticket. And God, here's the deal. I- I'll give you 99% of it. <laughs> Who else in Minnesota is going to do that? <laughs> Bet on me, God. I'm good for it. I'll keep $1 and give the rest to you. Know, right? uh, he still hasn't taken me up on that deal. He just doesn't like to negotiate. What's the deal here? Although you do find in the Bible people negotiating with God, and, and God listens. Uh, so I'm not going to be, you know, I don't think it's the highest spiritual discipline, but, but I, I, I would never, you know, condemn anyone for doing that because you have some biblical precedent. God, here's the thing. And he likes to dialogue in, in that way. But your, your real question is, how do you know for sure? Is it you or is it God? Is it you or is it God? And more often than not, with me almost always, I can't tell for sure. I can't. Um, that's where I had that th- thing before about you know, when you sense God moving in a certain direction, don't be waiting around for certainty to happen. Act on the best that you have uh, if it's consistent with with, what's, you know, uh, uh, with with the kingdom and the character of Jesus Christ. So if you're getting options here, like, like what is you know, uh, the will of God? I could go this way or this way. Which one's me? Which one's God? Or you know, maybe neither or maybe both. There's, you, you just do due diligence on that. This is where you want to invite others in. You play out the scenarios. You know, you you purge your motives, play out the scenarios imaginatively, ask which one gives the most peace. Invite others in on this. Here's here's an area where it could happen that if you got the right kind of relationships here where they're loving but also very honest and truthful and they're the second because they're the first, that it may be that the person, some would say, you know, I know that you think that that's God's will, but I know you and I think that's you. (laughs) I know that you want that, and I don't think that that is, you know, uh, and, and if they have if trust in your life, you, you'd consider that and weigh that. And, and so, uh, then again, if, if one of your desires is something that clearly is less kingdom than this other uh, possibility, that'd also be another indication that maybe this is more you talking than it is God. But remember, and this is a good point to end on, we've seen this throughout the whole series, God's voice is, is, is not separable from ours, right? He he. He walks with our spirit, Proverbs says, and searches the inner corridors. He speaks with our voice. He speaks through our imagination. And that's why it is hard to step out and get any kind of objective assessment But is it me or is it God? The most you can do is these spiritual disciplines where you really sincerely want to do His will. You invite others in on this. You pay attention to the nudge. Ask what gives the most peace. And then, as the windows of opportunity close, you act on the best with, 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 with what you have. Wonderful. So, Imaginative discernment. Lay the options before God. Ask which ones gives the most peace. Community discernment. Invite others in on this. And then, thirdly, God's God's will is always in the now. Don't go coasting off of yesterday's will. And if yesterday's will has got you in a screwed up situation, you don't have to blame that on God, and you don't have to blame yourself. It's just that life changes. The only relevant question is not whether you're on Plan A or Plan Z. The only relevant question is what is the plan? What is the plan now? Trusting that God will use everything in our past, every wounded thing, every terrible thing, and as well as all the wonderful things, to weave him into our life, to do his artwork in our life, and to use us to spread his kingdom. Okay, let's take a couple questions. What do we got? What do we got? Okay, from Anonymous. Does God consider the best situation for all parties or only the ones asking for his will? Oh, that's interesting. Does it matter if the parties involved are believers or not? Wow, that's that's good. That's good. Leave it up to so I can think about that for a little bit. See, this is why I love this because it, it 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 just forces you. It's like a chess game. It forces you to think here. Well, see, here's a, I, 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 I think God always wants the best for everybody. I mean, he, he, that's what he, He's all loving. He's all good. Um, and so, on, on His ideal will is is to make decisions that involve are the best for everybody. On the other hand, by His own sovereign design, He's wired it into the nature of creation that that our relationship with him does stuff. There's stuff he can do with folks who have a relationship with him, who are talking to him, and who are listening to him that he can't do with everybody. And so so in, in that sense, I think it's the, the, the folks who are... He'll always do the best if he can for everybody, but the ones who are talking to him, that's the ones he's going to be responding to. And, uh, and so in that sense, I, it, it will be better for the, the folks that are talking to him. Now, whether a believer or not, I, you know, I, I, I don't know because, I mean, a lot of people believe stuff. I, we, the, the facts in your head about what you believe, I don't think is that relevant. The real question is, is, what's the actual relationship? Are you a disciple? And there's power in prayer and power in the relationship to bring about things that could never, never otherwise be, be brought about. So in that sense, there's a distinct advantage to, to being a, 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 a disciple in relationship with Jesus. That's why I think Paul says in Romans 8, 28, that God is working in all things for the better, for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. I think he'd love to do that with everybody, but it's only those who have been called and are, are now submitted to him uh, and listening to him and talking to him that know what he's up to. And so they're, they're able to submit to his will working in all things, whereas others just ignore it so it doesn't benefit them, at least not as much. Uh, and so, yes, there's an advantage to, to uh, being the person who's doing the asking and submitting to his will. Thank you for that question. That was a good one. I mean, they're all good, but uh, that was... Okay, what's the difference between peace of mind and peace in my heart? Which one do I listen to when it comes to hearing peace? Oh, excellent. Um, well, it depends on what you mean by, by uh, mind, uh, but between uh, uh, mind and heart. But basically, I, 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 the way I'd answer that is this. Uh, by, by heart, I mean the core of our being. And the Bible often, often uses heart and spirit interchangeably. The core of who we are, our innermost being. Mind is sort of what's going on in the head. And you can have, in fact, this is to some degree, I think, true of all of us all the time. What is true about us in the core of our being is not yet completely true of us in our head. For example, we are made new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're forgiven. We're made holy and blameless, etc., etc. But very few of us have totally integrated that into our head. So there's conflict in the head, even though there's none in the spirit. So also, when we're discerning God's will, it's important to get down to the core of your being because God may call you to a decision. Uh, to go down a course where your mind is saying, freak out. I can't do that. No way. Mom told me I'd be a loser if I tried to go down that route. But the core of your being is saying, yes, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The core of your being is is, is resonating with this. And so I, I encourage you to listen to, see, that's what I call your true self. And that's the self that God declares rather than the false self that you inherited from your parents or, or whoever. That may be in conflict here, but if you listen to your true self, you start to walk in this, and then God, God uses the walking to start to clear up some of the chatter in your head about that to bring your mind in line with the core of your being. So listen to the core of your being. And, and if there's peace there, boom, that's most likely the decision that God's calling you to. Excellent. Last question, or maybe we'll have time for two more. The Bible says that God hardens hearts. Does God do that today to cause people to sin? Like Pharaoh in Exodus. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. See, that's that fantastic. Okay, look at it. The, the text there, of, you first have to take into consideration that you're dealing with the Old Testament and they don't have the perspective of Christ. So their views of God are, are penultimate. The ultimate perspective is Christ. So we need to look at them with that in mind. And that, that's first consideration. Second consideration, though, is this. Um, The word hardened there, as it's used in Exodus, means to strengthen. Uh, It's interesting that when it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, it uses this word that means resistance. But when it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart, it means the word has the connotation of strengthening. And so the way I interpret that as I read it from a perspective of Christ is this. That God is actually helping Pharaoh do what Pharaoh wants to do. It's like, Pharaoh, you want to you wanna, you wanna play you know, hardball with me? I'll help you do it. And all that necessarily means is that God's going to keep Pharaoh from uh, doing the right thing for, for ulterior reasons. I mean, you know, Pharaoh could have said, oh, just for economic reasons or whatever, I'm going to let the people of Israel go. But what he really wants to do is to keep them slaves. So God says, for his own sovereign reasons, I'll, I'll help you do that. Since that's what you want to do, I'm going to make you strong in doing that. And, uh, and then out of that, he brings certain lessons for history and things of that sort. Now, does God do that today? I don't have any definitive reason to think that he doesn't. In fact, there's one verse in the New Testament that, that says that he does. Um, and it might look something like this. Uh, take, take a person who, who uh, no, let's, let's use Susan's husband. This guy who's, you know, just... Uh, gotten involved in adultery and become abusive, whatever. I could conceive of a situation where God says, God loves this guy, wants the best for this guy, wants to restore this guy. But I could see God saying, okay, if that's the course you're going to choose, I'm going to let you, I'll help you do that. I'll strengthen you. But the goal there is to drive this person to the end of themselves. You know what? In fact, I've even counseled folks like this, uh, where I've said, you know, a person continually goes down a path of destruction, it's like, I, finally, and you keep on trying to bring them back, there comes a point, God does this in Romans 1, where he says, you know, if that's what you want to do, do it. Um, keep on, keep, you know, keep, tell me how that's working for you. Uh, 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 how's that going? Maybe if, you, maybe if you cheated a little bit more, you'd, you'd find happiness. Maybe if you just drank a little bit more, you'd find happiness. Maybe if you just tried a few more drugs, you're going to find what you're looking for. Of course you won't, but they've got to learn that. And so I, I, I can see how God, in love, everything he does is out of love, even if it doesn't look that way. I could see that it would be his will for a time to harden a person, help them do what they want to do in the hopes that they'll come to the end of themselves and, uh, and then turn, finally, and experience redemption. This is finally, I think, what Paul's getting at in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5 when he tells the community there who's got this guy who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. Ooh, and, 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 and he says, you guys, you know what? you got to turn him out. Turn him over to Satan. For the destruction of the flesh that his soul might be saved. See, there's this harsh judgment. We're going to turn you over to Satan. We're ban you from the community. You won't repent, but we're doing it so that you'll be saved. But you've got to come to the end of yourself. Uh, we can't enable you any longer. And, and, uh, the, but even that is, is for salvific purposes. So as we're discerning God's will, I encourage us to uh, use imaginative discernment. Play out the scenario submitted to God, purging your motives, and envision each possibility. And I encourage us to invite others who are ever relevant to the decision in on the process. And I encourage us to always remember that God's will is always in the now. Don't coast on yesterday's will. Okay, other questions will be on the website. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come forward. And if you have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come forward and, and, and get that prayed for, whether it's about discerning God's will or something else. Don't leave here with that burden. Come up here and uh, everything you share is is, is held in, in confidence. Father, thank you for calling us to be a people who... Uh, know you and are filled with the knowledge of your will. Keep on filling us. Keep on filling us. Keep on teaching us. Keep on humbling us. Keep on softening our hearts. So we be a people who are paying attention to the gentle nudges in our heart and who are earnestly seeking your will on all the matters of our life. As we seek to carry out your will on earth as it is in heaven to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's kingdom people said. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Go on build a kingdom.